McShane Bible study, and we're going to do kind of two days today, days 122 and 123. We're starting in Numbers 9 and 10, and the last couple of verses in 9 stood out to me. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. So You see, God was training them to depend on mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. to get rid. They probably had a lot of expectations, right? God is moving them out. He's done a lot of signs and wonders. He's given them this law. They probably had all kinds of expectations about what this should look like. Right? We've even seen this in, in The Chosen. We've been watching. They've been showing all the disciples of Jesus had all these expectations about what's supposed to happen next. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, that happens in our own lives where we expect, okay, God's moving, something's happening, and then we start making expectations about what God should do next in our lives or in the world around us. Right? We see here that God was training them to simply rest in Him, to depend on Him, to trust in Him, and to get rid of their own expectations for what happens next. You see that? He's getting rid of worldly mindsets, getting rid of the flesh and the desire to control things and manipulate Mm -hmm. things, and teaching the people to simply depend on Him, look for Him, wait on Him, and move when He says move. He does same things in our lives. He needs to train us to be completely dependent on Him, completely, um, you know, completely worshiping Him, trusting Him, so that when there is a time of big activity in the Spirit, that we're Mm -hmm. all about that activity. And when there's a time of resting in Him, Mm -hmm. then we're all about that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then if we look at number 10, so then we see He starts having them... Uh, form the two silver trumpets or shafars and then they they actually leave sinai and so it, it well before that it it talks a lot about the different ways of communication they use sound to communicate our own words are are that same communication right and we're sending a sound out there's actually a lot of power in that when god first spoke and created the world word he did it through speaking right and we're created in his image. The, we, we must be mindful of the words that we speak because there's power of both blessing and cursing, either towards ourselves or to others in those words. And so that's a, a picture of those things. And then they tell us the order of all the people as they set out, um, you know, who's leading each tribe and, and the order that they, that they uh, move in as as uh, the Ark of Covenant and the presence of God actually moves before them. I like the last couple of verses. And whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. I don't have much to say about it. I just kind of like it. As <laughs> he had this ritual of just uh, a, a blessing. Like, Lord, we depend on you. We wait on you. We follow you. 
And Lord, you are all powerful. Anyone that's against your ways, scatter them. And Lord, be with us. Next, we're doing Psalm 45 to 47. And 45, I liked, um, I highlighted quite a few verses. Um, Six and seven, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So we see the, the scepter. The scepter is a symbol of the power of a king, right? Mm-hmm. But we see his, his scepter is specifically points to righteousness, right? So I think that's kind of powerful because we see this symbol of the Lord's scepter often in Scripture. And it always has significant meaning. And it talks about his righteousness, his right way in life. And his blessing that comes from this right way. And then 13 to the end says, All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. So if the king's wife is, you know, his bride starts a princess and then becomes a wife, right? Um many colored robes so that is kind of a picture of the many yellows who make up this bride of christ right she's led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her with joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king there's nothing more joyful than entering into union oneness with god right and then 16 says in place of your father shall be your son so this talks about the family culture that god is about building Right? Mm-hmm. He wants not. There have been many people that have had an incredible oneness with God throughout history. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jesus being the epitome of that, but there have been many, many people throughout history who've had this amazing one on one relationship with God, and that's good. But what God's plan has always been, and what He's going to do throughout our lifetimes is he's going to create a family of God, a culture that is separate from the world, but is not just sort of hiding from the world, but is actually having the life and the ways, the righteousness of God poured into us so that there becomes a community and more are trained up in this way. So this is in place of your father shall be your sons. There starts to become a family culture of God amongst his people, right? You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. So, you know, Christ will be glorified through his people throughout the earth, right? He will raise us up as princes. He wants us to be priests and kings, right? Order of Melchizedek we've been talking about. So that's the idea that we are raised up as a mature son of God, which then becomes, or, you know, putting the order aside, which is a priest and a king in the family of God, right? So that the, God's authority is exercised in the world. That's the kingly anointing. That God is made known to the world. That's mm-hmm. the priestly anointing. Right? Okay, and then Psalm 46. And I looked at 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. 
And we just talked about that there's a, a new Jerusalem, a new city of God. We see, uh, we're going to talk about that in, in Hebrews soon. And when we get to Revelation, we'll see the, a picture again of this city. And it, it's, it's the people of God containing the full glory of God, the wisdom, the love, the truth of God. Five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So morning dawning, there's a new day. And mm-hmm. God himself is in us and with us. Now, there's also stuff going on outside that, right? Six, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So there's, you know, there's difficulty out there. But the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then he ends, and you know, he's kind of quoting David. 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What did we just talk about in... Uh, in numbers, like mm-hmm. learning, when is it a time? I, I felt like it, we've been in a season of this, of just resting in the Lord. Being, for me personally, being just full of joy and peace. At, the Lord is good and we are His. Mm-hmm. And so we need to learn to abide in Him in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, 47. Verse 5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. I just pointed this out because for one, in Numbers, we saw they just made these two trumpets and they were communicating mm-hmm. with these things. We often blow a, a shofar for, uh, um, you know, special occasions or, or a weekly Sabbath. Um, and the Lord is in it. We know one of the seven major holidays mm-hmm. is about blowing of trumpets, right? Mm-hmm. So, just that's the only thing I wanted to point out there. And then we are finishing Song of Solomon today, chapter 7 and 8. 7, verse 12 says, Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. So this is kind of interesting. Again, if we see this as Christ and his church, or his, his Christ and his bride, and, and the work and the family culture that he's mm-hmm. doing, we talked about abiding in him. We talked about, you know, worshiping him, looking at him, following him. But he actually has work for us to do. And so what do they do? They go out together and they look at the vineyard. We know that motif is common in scripture of, of God's people, the people being a vineyard or a garden. And that, we once we come up into union with him you know we come into some level of maturity with him that then he begins to use us uh, to help others come into him right this is tending his garden and so we see them tending this garden together it's the work once we know it's so it's not just us running off doing our own thing because it seems godly it's us following him, abiding in him, doing the work we see him doing. Remember, Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. I don't do anything else, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same for us. We don't try to get busy doing stuff that seems really good because uh, the spirit of religion or the way people we know think that, oh, he must be godly. Look at all this godly stuff he's doing. We're not living for any of those reasons. We we abide in the Lord and do what we see the Father doing. And 
And then, you know, as we mature and it's ready, he will provide us this work, specially set aside for us, which is the tending of his garden or his vineyard. And then the last chapter, 8, I, I love this, uh, this verse, uh, 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So saying, put, mark me, right? And you have a seal on your arm that represents, I, I belong to this king, or I belong to this person. And this seal shows everyone. Everyone can see just by looking at me. I belong to him. And so she's saying, let, let me be, you know, let me be clearly yours to everyone and that this love is as strong as death right it's just you and me lord forever and there can be nothing that gets in the way of that right all right we are finishing up in hebrews 7 and 8 and 7 just continues on with this theme of the order of melchizedek and it's probably the chapter most thick with that topic um and he talks about you know, Melchizedek, you remember when he showed up and to Abraham, mm-hmm. he kind of pops into the store and pops out. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, this is a big deal. Abraham honored Melchizedek, paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Um, there's, there's something more here than you understand. And we can look, first of all, uh, his name means right, king of righteousness. And he's king of Salem. And Salem is another word for peace, right? Shalom is the Hebrew version. I guess Salem is the Jebusite version. Um, today, Arabic language is a highly spoken language in the world, and their version is um, Salam. You know, they're all kind of related languages. And um, so verse 3 says, He is without father or mother or genealogy. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So we see this picture. Some people think this was Jesus. I, I don't know. The Lord's never shown me that. It, it doesn't really matter other than we see a, a picture. All, all these stories, I mean, they were impactful in the people's lives. But they are preserved for us as scripture to be so much more than that right Mm -hmm. so we can see there's a picture of something that touches our lives right Mm -hmm. and so he resembles the son of god he continues as a priest forever Mm -hmm. Melchizedek did in this story that people have known about for thousands of years and so he's a picture of jesus to come certainly right and Verse 16 says, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. So we see God has done something far greater than the Levitical order, a priesthood that you could be a bad, you know, you could be someone who's just all about yourself, totally selfish. And because your father was the high priest, you're going to be the high priest, right? And he says, God is doing something greater where it's not dependent upon man. It's not dependent upon the family you're born in, but anyone can come in to this priesthood if we simply seek him and mm-hmm. our transfor- allow ourselves and seek 
that he transforms us into the same indestructible life that Jesus had. Mm -hmm. Right? So that we say goodbye to our old life and our own, you know, you've heard me say this so many times throughout your life, but this is not an easy thing because our flesh wants its own way, right? We have to be willing to put that to death in order that this indestructible life takes hold of us. Verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so he draws near to us. He knows everything that we have gone through. Mm-hmm. He can absolutely feel it, you know, like he understands what it's like to suffer in this world. But he lives to help us overcome it. Mm-hmm. He has all authority to help us overcome it. And he and he it's his greatest desire to help us overcome it and to pray for us so that we do overcome it. But it's a two way street. We have to seek him for this. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We have to even become aware of the things we struggle against. Because the kingdom of darkness is not flesh and blood, right? We can't see it. It's not like an enemy that we just grab a sword and kill the enemy. It's We have to grab a spiritual sword, and we first have to recognize that there is an enemy attacking us, and then do the work and say, Lord, I need help with this. And see if he's saying, okay, be still, and I'll take care of this. Okay, do this, and I'll take care of this. You know, seek him for these things. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Hebrews 8 um, starts out, now the point in... What we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So he's saying, you know, there there was a time when the Lord showed up in his presence in the tabernacle or later the temple. And, and that's where God was. There was only one high priest that could go in there once a year. But... That that was the system God set up. He said he sent set up something greater where we have a high priest continually ministering on our behalf. And he has torn the veil to make it available to us. Should we so seek him and desire this, believe that we can do this and continue to endure and persevere until we come into this place that we can come into this with him. The Lord has set this up. He didn't even use people he you know whereas he gave moses or david instructions on here's how you build he he is doing this completely himself it does not even have man's fingerprints on it and so it becomes something greater than anything that was before right Mm -hmm. and then he goes in a long thing quoting jeremiah about look god has promised there is something bigger coming Verse 11 says, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So we look around and we say, Well, does all Christianity, the world looks at Christianity and says, Okay, all these Christians represent what this Christian God is. It's very confusing. It's very hypocritical. It's um, It's hard for the world to see God through this. And God says, that's not enough. There will be something more. And when we read the promise that even Hebrews quotes from, you know, a thousand years earlier. Well, not quite, but 
hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, um, that God's plan is that all his people will know him. And that we are so knowing the Lord, so growing in the Lord, so being filled with his glory, that those outside will come to know. So again, there's a picture, the scripture points to it many times, just as there was a tabernacle period and a temple period. There was a church age, there was a beginning period that transitioned through the church age into an end period, a kingdom period, where the culture of the family and the kingdom of God become our way of life. And then we are just, we talked about, um, what was it, a psalm that mentioned? The fathers to sons, this this passing on of this kingdom culture. Well, here we take each one his brother and his neighbor so that we're all growing together in the Lord because his culture is our culture. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That, that's the plan and that's exciting to me because that's what God is about. So... Mm-hmm. It comes to us as a family, as a people of God, like, Lord, instruct us in your ways. How do we become more like this? We know that you're going to do the big heavy lifting, but how do we, you know, prepare for this? How do we set ourselves apart for this so that our culture is your culture, right? Mm -hmm. So that's as a family, that's what we're about. Well, that's all I have today. Uh, God bless you. God bless you. Have a good day.